banter red, white, and confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans, and today we are discussing the new Texas abortion law and how this will affect state politics across the United States, especially here in Virginia. I'm joined by two guests. Jennifer Hayes-Clark is an associate professor of political science at the University of Houston. She received her doctorate in political science from Indiana University. Her areas of specialization include American legislative institutions, state politics and public policy, and women in politics. Michael Romano is an associate professor of political science at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. His research focuses on how politicians communicate with the public, including how judges write decisions and influence public debate around policy issues. He is the co-author of the book, Creating the Law, State Supreme Court Opinions, and the Effect of Audience, and is currently studying how state governments impact the strength of democracy and adherence to democratic norms in the United States nationally. So let me begin by thanking both of you for being on the program today. As I'm sure you've noticed online, on television, all over the place, everyone is talking about Texas. Everyone is talking about abortion. So let's just hop right into this. So Jennifer, my first question is for you. What is this new Texas bill as it relates to abortion in Texas? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on, Heather. Senate Bill 8, or the Texas Heartbeat Act, as it's known, bans abortions upon the detection of a fetal heartbeat. So usually that's around six weeks gestation. And just to put this into context further, that's about 85 to 90% of abortions in Texas occurring um, after that period. Uh, and so it's very early on in the pregnancy before many even realize they're even pregnant. And so in addition, the law restricts the state from enforcement and instead leaves enforcement up to private citizens, individuals who can sue anyone that they see as aiding and abetting and violating the law. And it also places a bounty of $10,000 at least per infraction, which could be fairly hefty for abortion providers. Um, A few other things in the bill, um, there is an exception for the pregnant person's health. However, there's no exception for rape or incest, um, as we see with many of these types of abortion restrictions. Um, It also bans the person seeking the abortion from actually being sued. And so that's something that I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding that point. However, doctors, family members, even Uber drivers can be sued um, so long as they're seen as aiding and breaking this law. So that's the, the law in a nutshell. And I noticed um, online earlier, I was reading some opinions of this of this bill and its effects on women, that uh, Uber has come out to say that they will pay all legal fees uh, resulting from anything like this for any of their drivers that might be sued. It's a yes, very interesting. Right. It's a very interesting law, and it it differs from other laws around the nation. Would you say this is the most restrictive law so far that has been passed in one of the state legislatures? Yes, I mean, there have been some bans um, at this point. However, usually the enforcement is different. And so the way those laws were written, the state was actually enforcing. And so it made the lawsuits a little easier um, in the sense that you could just 
sue, for instance, the state of Texas. Um, however, because the enforcement is left up to individual citizens in this case, it makes it very complex in terms of who you're actually seeking the injunction against, um, because nobody yet has tested this law and actually sued. Yeah. And I wonder if once someone tests this law, then it will go, I assume, up the court system, right? It, it won't just kind of stop on one level with here's a $10,000 payment because somebody mm-hmm. assisted in an abortion, that this would test essentially Roe v. Wade. Is that correct? Presumably, yes, it would. Um, Assuming that the courts actually take this case and specifically the Supreme Court. Um, Yeah, but, you know, that's the argument that Merrick Garland is making that it does violate supremacy, right, with Roe v. Wade in their lawsuit against Texas. Yeah. Now, Michael, I want to bring you into this conversation. I often hear people say that this bill or just abortion in general, that if there's ever any regulations passed about abortion, it is a, quote, war on women. Do you think that that characterization is correct or should we open that up a little larger than just being a war on women? Yeah, it's it's really interesting optics, isn't it, to to use that phrase uh, and just to kind of get a thanks for having me on the show as well. I was really excited to talk about this with uh, two other people uh, because it's definitely been around the media ecosystem for a while, much like the term uh, to kind of get back to the point. Um, Andrea Dworkin uh, kind of coined the term in the 1980s. Uh, She was a feminist scholar that was kind of talking about how legislation, uh, especially in uh, issues like abortion really tended to be made by groups of white men uh, in uh, closed off rooms without any sort of input from women. Uh, and for a good period of time, that's what the optics were that we got. And even when you imagine, uh, you know, you, you hear just kind of the, the development of, uh, well, a state legislature is considering anti-abortion legislation. In your mind, you immediately think of a room of men that are you know writing this bill out because that's what we always see but in point of fact the texas uh law that went into effect and quite a few other uh laws that are being tested in other states as well have actually been pushed very strongly by female legislators female conservative legislators specifically uh and so to argue that it's the optics is still white men legislating uh women's bodies is kind of a misnomer at this point, especially since the law that we're talking about here, the Texas law, was uh, put forward by a fairly strongly conservative female can- or female member of the legislature. Uh, along with that, we have to take into account that bills like this that have been tested in other locations in other states have been put forward by interest groups that are also predominantly led by conservative women. And so the optics have definitely started to change. And that's something that from the perspective and the rhetoric of Republicans and conservatives especially uh, has been kind of useful in promoting that, well, this isn't a war on women. Women are the ones presenting this to the, this is what women want, essentially. Right. And I've seen a lot of people on Facebook putting up things that are, like you said, this 
it's kind of like these men are legislating about our bodies, but really in many of these instances, women are sponsoring these bills, co-sponsoring these bills. They're conservative women who feel very differently about abortion. Women are not a monolith, right? And so women have, depending on the woman and her beliefs, she may feel differently about this particular issue. So Jennifer, along with that, that I'm wondering, you know, in the literature, when we talk about women's issues or men's issues, are there such thing as, as, I mean, are there women's issues? Are there men's issues? And is abortion really a, a woman's issue? I think there are women's and men's issues. Um, those issues that sort of disproportionately affect women as a group or men as a group. However, abortion, I think, is an exception. Um, I agree with both of you in the sense that this issue has sort of invoked religion. It's invoked um you know, the life of an unborn child. And so it's become much more of a partisan issue, um, especially over time, as we've seen the Democrats and the Republicans polarize, um, you know, and some of my research on women in state legislatures, looking at their roll call voting behavior, they're actually more polarized than male legislators. And so it's unsurprising that you would see conservative women kind of at the fore pushing this type of uh, restriction on abortion. Yeah. And women in general might be more interested in this topic, but it doesn't mean that we're all exactly the same, right? Like we, as a group, we may all think about abortion because it is our bodies, but it doesn't mean that we all think the same way about those topics. Exactly. There's, yeah. there's a, a large difference there between Democratic women and Republican women on the issue of abortion in particular. Now, and who... Not to- Sorry, not, Go not ahead, to Michael. Inter, interject on that just a little bit is that uh, kind of going back to one of the earlier things that you said, Heather, um, that uh, these, this issue, abortion especially, but quite a few other issues really cross cut across a lot of other areas where we get our ideologies from. Religion's a big one as well. The uh, anti-abortion movement in the United States largely started as a movement generated by Catholics specifically, and then kind of grew from there into evangelical Christianity and other religions as well. And so it doesn't, uh, it creates a lot of caveats where it doesn't necessarily uh, evoke this feeling that if you are a woman, you are one way, if you're a man, you're another way, because these other areas where you can get your opinions from also kind of matter here. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with both of you, when we look at public opinion data on this topic, it's not uniform everywhere at all. I mean, we what we do know is the way that the question is asked when it comes to abortion attitudes matters, right? So if we go some, somewhere and we ask a group of citizens, are you for abortion? Are you against abortion? That's very different. You will get a different set of responses than if you start asking questions like, in which of these cases in which of these instances is it okay that, that a woman should have the ability to seek an abortion? Um, the, at the last time when I checked the data, about 60% of those in the United States said that they were for women having the ability to get an abortion if they, if they needed one. And some of those said that they, they felt like a, a woman should have access to an abortion no matter what. There's a much smaller percentage who would say a woman shouldn't have access at all 
But what we hear a lot in the media is that there's really just two sides. When in reality, there's a lot of gray. And I think that the Texas bill, it it does focus in on the quote unquote two sides and not all of the attitudes that people have about abortion. Yes, I think that's right. And I mean, opinion breaks down pretty similarly within Texas, even within Republicans, just in general, the question of reversing Roe v. Wade, a majority want to uphold Roe v. Wade and just generally access um, to abortion. I think one thing that some find troubling is that there's no exception for instances of rape and incest, which is usually, um, you know, one of those areas where strong majorities tend to want women to have the ability for an abortion in those circumstances. Well, let me pause for just a moment. And I know that there may be some people who are just listening, tuning in now. So hi, everyone. Welcome again to Red, White and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. And today we're discussing the new Texas abortion law and how this will affect state politics across the United States, especially here in Virginia. I'm joined by two guests, Jennifer Hayes-Clark, who is an associate professor of political science at the University of Houston, and Michael Romano, who is an associate professor of political science at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. So Jennifer, I want to turn one more time and, and ask you, since you are in Texas, who do you see this bill affecting the most? Well, I mean, there's been a lot sort of written about this question um, in terms of who's seeking abortions. And we do know that it's going to have a heavy impact on minority women in particular. Um, There's also going to be socioeconomic effects um, because once this law went into effect September 1st, abortions have pretty much shut down in the state of Texas um, because there's just fear of lawsuits. And so those who are seeking abortions and who actually have the means to travel across state lines and receive those services, they've been going across state lines. However, those who can't afford that, well, they're sort of stuck, right? And so there are disparate effects of this law in terms of race, in terms of class. Um, And so those are some of the things that we need to think about. Yeah, definitely. All right, Michael, we're going to turn to state politics here in Virginia. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So I have noticed, you have noticed, I know that you've noticed this. There are so many articles out right now about Virginia politics and what's happening in Texas and the ties between the two. So how exactly does this affect state politics here? You know, it's just it's something you just can't get away from, apparently, as uh, Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin is kind of learning very quickly. Uh, Prior to the Texas law uh, being announced, going uh, being signed, uh, I think about four percent of Virginia residents thought that the number one issue affecting this race was going to be abortion. Most people were concerned about COVID-19, about the economy. Uh, you know, your standard fare of election materials that really make for a tight race between Democrats and Republicans in the state. Uh, and that had a lot of Democrats especially worried because, you know, Terry McAuliffe has a long history in Virginia politics. The uh, Democratic legislature just got control of both chambers so that they could actually start pushing forward an agenda there. 
there's redistricting happening. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so having a kind of mundane race where there wasn't going to be a lot of turnout or there were concerns about turnout because we're we elect governors in an off year in Virginia, which is also kind of weird. <laughs> uh, really, this kind of drove uh, a lot of greater attention to an issue that Democrats usually are very successful with in Virginia. Uh, abortion plus kind of the Trump politics drove big wins in Virginia during the midterms in 2018. Uh, this bled over into 2019 that gave uh, Democrats advantage and gave them unified government. Uh, and so the abortion law really sort of re-energizes a lot of the mobilization efforts for Democrats because they can point to Texas and then they can point to sort of quiet statements that Yunkin has made to groups of conservatives and only to groups of conservatives and say, look, this is somebody that we definitely can't have if we want to continue seeing you know, democratic policies keep going forward. And so it's really sort of put a lot of dampering on Republican campaigns and really helped energize Democrats in ways that we generally sort of see and is actually mirrors uh, what happened in Texas uh, prior to this law taking effect, interestingly enough. So in 2020 in Texas, uh, this law was being debated or laws like this were being debated and discussed, but uh, the House Speaker in the Texas legislature, Dade, uh, felon, you can correct me if I'm wrong in how you say that last name, uh, was saying that they're kind of dead on arrival. We, we shouldn't be paying attention to them. And use similar language to what Glenn Youngkin said in that, well, we don't want to alienate independent voters by being too hard on abortion uh, or taking the hard line on abortion. Uh, and that's kind of what Youngkin was saying. And we're seeing with the lieutenant governor race as well that uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, well, candidate for Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears is really having a hard time in the polls. And she was having a hard time already uh, in her campaign against uh, Hala Ayala. Uh, and her comments to conservative news outlets about her stance on abortion, which was very forward and very anti-abortion, have not helped her to the point where now she's practically fired her entire campaign staff. Uh, so we're seeing it very much affect the rhetoric that we're seeing from both of these candidates now to the benefit of Terry McAuliffe, arguably, arguably. Uh, but it is still arguably a pretty tight race. Yeah, it definitely is. And I have noticed just in terms of, you know, I like to study social media and how you'll see issues kind of come up, spark, and then eventually they burn out or they get replaced by other issues. Last week, it felt like this became the issue. Um, before this, you know, before the Texas abortion bill, what I was seeing everyone talk about was Afghanistan. And while that is still, I mean, if you go to CNN, MSNBC, Fox, any of these news agencies, and you look on their main page, you're going to see reporting about Afghanistan but if you go to Facebook, if you go to Twitter, if you go to places where a lot of just regular everyday citizens are spending their time, you're seeing posts about abortion. And I wonder if not only will that affect this race, but it'll affect all races. And per perhaps 
it actually, it's, it's almost like wag the dog, right? It's almost like, (laughs) it's almost like here's a shiny penny, right? And so now we're not focused on some of the things we were focused on. Instead, we're focusing on abortion and it, it, it definitely is a motivator. Um, Jennifer, what are you seeing in Texas? Are citizens, I mean, I assume citizens are really riled up about this. Perhaps even in new interest groups are trying to somehow change what is happening in Texas. What are you seeing? Yes, there have been a lot of protests um, at the Capitol, but then around the state as well. Um, And I think you're right that it's going to be more of a national issue, though, as we've seen other state leaders talk about proposing their own version of this legislation. Um, And so it's going to be something I know in Florida they're considering. And then in South Dakota, the governor, Kristi Noem, was talking about wanting to propose something similar to make sure that their state has, you know, the strongest, most stringent abortion law on the books. And so it's something that I think there's going to be policy diffusion here um, among the conservative states. I think you are absolutely correct, Jennifer, and it will be policy diffusion among the states that conservative states will start to race to see who can have the or who could who can copy the Texas bill quickly, <laughs> who can also have more restrictive abortion legislation in their states. Furthermore, Michael, as you were mentioning in terms of Virginia politics, anyone running here, well, anyone running anywhere cannot ignore this issue. This is something that in every legislative race right now, they're going to have to answer questions on. This is something everyone wants an answer about. So they will be questioned about their abortion attitudes and about whether they would be willing to have in a state like Virginia, similar legislation. Now, before we end the program, I also want to say that I see this in relationship as well to public demonstrations. So When we think back on, let's say, the last four years uh, in the United States, directly following President Donald Trump's inauguration, there was the Women's March, which was the single largest one-day march that had ever happened in United States history. You had women marching all over the world for issues related to women, uh, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, lots of different issues that were discussed that day, but lots of women came out. And then right after that happened in 2018, a large number of women decided to run for office. There were so many women who tossed their name in the hat for positions because they said that these issues that they felt so strongly about were motivating them to run. So I hope, Michael, that you are correct in that this issue, whether women are on the left or the right on this, no matter what side they're on, that that people start to vote, right? And that people start to, to actually run for office in the same way that they did in 2018. We may find that there are women in multiple states now who are like, you know what, I'm going to run now because of things like what's happening in Texas. Thanks to both of you again for being a guest on the program today, and thank you all for listening. If you missed any piece of the broadcast today, you can listen to this program wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Amazon. 
And again, the program is Red, White, and Confused, the podcast. If you are able, please consider making a donation to WEHC. Major gifts help ensure a lasting commitment to unique radio programming that brings the people of Southwestern Virginia together in an appreciation of our people and our place. Donations can be made at 276-582-0907, or you can also make a donation online at www.wehcfm.com and select Make a Gift. See you all next week.